We are starting a new series today um, called the Summer on the Mount. And so some of you are very intuitive, and you probably guessed that we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's summertime. So uh, if you couldn't tell from the outside temperatures, uh, and we are going to be in the Sermon on the Mount uh, the rest of this summer and next summer. And hey, we might just be having so much fun that we're going to go into the summer after that. Who knows? Um, But uh, this is the sermon of Jesus, a sermon that Jesus preached that is recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so we're going to be starting this sermon or this series in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12 today. And so I've asked Boaz Whittemore if he would come on up. And uh, he's going to read this scripture for us today. And so you will see that what he is reading is not exactly what is on the screen. And so I told Alan, hey, we're going to be reading out of the ESV. And so Bo has the ESV. Jacob put in the NIV on the screen. So um, I think you'll be able to do it. So Bo, thanks for reading. Go ahead. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so there persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right. Thank you, Bo. Appreciate it. Hey, you're going to keep that. Okay. All right, Bo. You just want to go ahead and preach the rest of the service? No? Okay. Um, hey, so we are going to be going through this scripture that he read today. But I want to give some context before we do this. At this point, Jesus's earthly ministry is just getting started. And so we see in the chapter before this, chapter 4 of Matthew, we see that John the Baptist is arrested. And when this happens, Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what that means is the kingdom of heaven is in front of you. It is in grasp. It is um, able to reach out. You can touch the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying, he is proclaiming that he is the kingdom of, Kevin, kingdom of heaven, and his time had come. That Jesus was here as the kingdom, and he was here to um, roll out the kingdom that he was brought to manifest. And so... Um, Jesus proclaims this, and then he goes and he calls disciples to follow him. And his disciples begin to follow him as he is teaching in the synagogues. And as he is teaching, people are bringing him the um, broken, the paralyzed, the sick, the demon-possessed. And Jesus does what? He begins to heal them. And he casts out demons. And he begins to um, put on this show for the people, even though Jesus was never about the show, And so these people begin to follow him, and he has this crowd that gathers around him. And so what we see in verses 1 and 2 
is that Jesus, as he sees the crowd, he ascends this mountain, and he gets to the top of this mountainside, and what does he do? He sits, and in front of him, right in front of him, the closest to him are his disciples, and behind them is the crowd. Going down the ascending, descending down the mountainside, Jesus is sitting, everyone else is standing um, because it was customary for the rabbi to teach in a sitting position and the people would stand so you have it easy this morning. Um, I'm standing and you're sitting in those very nice chairs, um, but they would actually stand so they didn't fall asleep. So if any of you feel a little tired, go ahead and stand up. It's all right. I'm just kidding. Um, And so this picture, this um, scene that is painted of Jesus sitting up on top of this mountainside and down this side of the hill, people waiting and listening to what Jesus had to say would be a very familiar picture to this audience. You see, Matthew, as he wrote, he wrote his gospel to who? To Jews. And the Jews had a good, um, healthy knowledge of the Old Testament. And so in Jesus's life, in this um, account of Matthew, Jesus's life would parallel or be a mirror to the story of the Exodus. And so a few ways that you can see that is that uh, the Passover, right, in Exodus, where each firstborn child in all of Egypt were to die, parallels perfectly with Herod um, decreeing that each child under the age of two should be killed in Bethlehem. Right? And then we see that the parting of the Red Sea as the Israelites escape out of Egypt would have a parallel to Jesus' baptism in the Jordan. And then we would see that the Israelites, once they crossed the Red Sea, where did they go? They were in the wilderness at the bottom of the Mount Sinai. And Jesus, just before his ministry gets started, he's in the wilderness. And he is tempted three times by Satan. And then what comes next for the Israelites in the Exodus. Moses ascends the mountain and he comes back from the mountain and he's sitting up on top of the hill and what does he present to them? He presents the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel and in a similar paralleled, mirrored scene, Jesus is offering a word from the Lord just as Moses did. But what's important for us to realize is that Jesus is a greater Moses. That Jesus, unlike Moses who offered these laws, these ten laws that the people of Israel needed to follow, Jesus is offering citizenship into the kingdom. And this is unfathomable. This is unheard of for these Jews to feel like they are a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And he paints this picture and he doesn't offer them laws because what happens if he did? If he offered them laws, how cruel of Jesus would that have been? Because, hey, here are the old laws, and I know you couldn't follow those, and I know that those old laws, as we see in Scripture, only led to death, but I'm going to actually give you new laws that are harder, right? Because in the old law, what did it say? You shall not murder, but in the new law, Jesus says what? If you are angry with a brother in your heart, you have already committed murder, right? So Jesus did not come with new laws, but Jesus came with a kingdom citizenship. Jesus came with the description of what it looked like to be blessed in the kingdom of God, and this is paradoxical. Kids, that means upside down. It doesn't make sense to us that the kingdom of God does not make sense in our earthly brains, but the kingdom of God makes sense when we flip it on our heads and we think spiritually. We think with an eternal kingdom mindset. 
And so, that's where we are. And as we go through this Sermon on the Mount, we need to think with a kingdom perspective, a kingdom mindset. And for some of us, that's going to take us having a switch flipped in our brain. All right, so we're going to be in verses 3 through 12. And if you um, know about your Bible, if you know Scripture, this is called the Beatitudes. And uh, Beatitude, that, that word comes from a Latin word, beati or beatus, which means um, blessed or happy, right? Maybe you're like me and you're like, Beatitudes, those are attitudes we should be about. Um, that's, I mean, it actually, it's, uh, we should, but it comes from this Latin word beati or beatus, um, which means blessed because Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who fill in the blank. So we are going to be working through these eight beatitude statements one by one and seeing how kingdom citizens should live. All right, so let's go ahead, get started with the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right off the bat, we see blessed are the poor. No one in their right mind on an earthly thinking would say blessed are the poor. Blessed is the one who doesn't have anything. Blessed is the one who is hungry and doesn't have food. Blessed is the one who doesn't have a home. We wouldn't say that. But Jesus is talking in the kingdom perspective, a kingdom mindset. And blessed are the poor in what? The poor in spirit. Because um, those who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt, that our accounts as spiritual people are zero, those who recognize that will go to God. That we are all spiritually bankrupt. We are all spiritually empty and we have depravity and brokenness and weariness. That's all we bring to the table. And for those who don't realize that, for those who think that they have something in their account, they're not going to go to Jesus. They're going to rely on themselves. But we we know that we are poor in spirit. If you're a believer in here, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that you are poor in spirit, you are broken, you are weary, and we cannot depend on ourselves, but we have to be fully dependent on God. And what happens? When we realize that we are spiritually empty, we are spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that our account is empty, but we receive the kingdom of God and all of its riches, which that account has infinite zeros behind it. The account of the Lord spiritually, he can fill us and give us everything we will ever need when it comes to our spiritual life. And so you don't get that if you're relying on yourself. But when you realize that you're spiritually poor and spiritually bankrupt, the Lord will give his righteousness. He will give his spirit to you. Next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So here, you can loosely translate this to say, happy are the unhappy. <laughs> happy are the sad. Again, kingdom perspective. It's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense when we first read it. But because we are spiritually empty, because we are spiritually poor, we should mourn. Because we um, don't have any righteousness of our own, that should cause some sorrow to us. 
See, this isn't talking about the type of mourning that you would see at a funeral. Um, there is plenty of scripture that talks about uh, the hope and the peace that God brings to the brokenhearted. So if there is somebody at a funeral who is mourning, there are plenty of scriptures that we could tell that person to encourage them, but this is not one of them. Because this is not talking about a earthly mourning or the mourning of a loved one or the loss of a loved one. This is talking about the mourning over our and those around us spiritual sin. This is mourning over the depravity of your life and the sin that you have and the weight of that sin that was only paid on the cross. This is you looking at your life, me looking at my life, and mourning over what I have done, and it should break our hearts that our sin caused Jesus to go to the cross and die, and he never should have received that. That should have been ours to bear. But I want to make a distinction that this mourning that we have is not, this mourning is not shame, and it is not guilt. This mourning and this weight that we should feel that the price of our sin has is not shame because shame does what? It focuses on you. And shame isolates you away from God. But when we mourn, as it talks about here in Scripture, when we are sad, when we feel the weight of our sin, it should not isolate us away from God, but it should draw us near to God because He will comfort us. Because Jesus, when we mourn with this righteous mourning that Jesus talks about here, when we feel the weight and we feel the sorrow and we cry out and we feel brokenhearted because our sin caused Jesus to die on the cross, we are reminded of the grace that we are met with there. That that grace of Jesus on the cross is not, does not run out. And so when we mourn about our sin, if you are feeling shame and it is pushing you away from God, that is unrighteous, but you should feel mourning and you should go to your Father who meets you with the grace and the truth that you are forgiven and you are set free from that sin. And so when we mourn, we will be comforted by Jesus, not by anything else. If you feel the weight of your sin, and you go to anything other than Jesus, you are feeling shame and you are feeling guilt. You are not feeling this righteous mourning that we are called to have. Because God will meet us with the grace of the cross, not condemnation. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think a lot of times, I don't know um, if this is true for you, but for me, um, I think of meek being a synonym for weak, and that is not the correct definition. That meek and weak are not the same. They rhyme, but they don't mean the same thing. Meek, Aristotle says, is strength under control. And before you start thinking that I read Aristotle, I don't. Um, I've heard that quote a long time ago and I was able to find it on Google this week. Um, uh, so Aristotle says that meekness is strength under control. And the ancient Greeks would actually describe their war horses as meek. I don't think they're going to have weak war horses. They are powerful and they are strong and they are fast. But they can be controlled by the soldier who is riding on them. That that strength needs to be able to be contained and controlled. And so... When we look at meek, blessed are those who are meek, we have to look at Jesus. That Jesus 
was meek, that Jesus was fully God in the flesh, that he was fully powerful, able at any moment to call down a host of angels and swoop down and take out the entire Roman army, that Jesus was able at any moment to ascend into heaven and not go through the persecution that he went through on our behalf, that Jesus was able to change the course of his future every step of the way, but he didn't, and he submitted himself to the will of the Father. That is meekness. And so for us, you may have the ability, you may have the strength, but when you submit yourself under the servitude of God to set your will aside and follow his will, that's when you are meek and that's when you are blessed. Because when you try to live your life, and some of you in here know this and it is too true for you to even stand, that when you try to live your life with your will, under your desires, it leads you to brokenness. But when you submit your will to the will of the Father, his will that is good, pleasing, and perfect, that's when we are blessed. And that's what Jesus tells us here, that we will inherit the earth. This is talking about um, the new heavens and the new earth that will come once God completely reconciles this world. Next up, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is something that we don't have, as we've talked about before, that we are poor in spirit, that we mourn because, we are de- because of our depravity. And so we hunger and thirst for something we don't have, and that is the righteousness of God. The God who is abundant and full and wholly righteous We need to hunger and thirst for that, that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and we want more of it, right? This this is how a believer, this is how a disciple of Jesus should live their life, to hunger and thirst, to grow more in the knowledge and the love for God, that we read our Bibles, that we uh, pray, that we want to spend time in worship and, and just serving and loving Jesus. And when we do that, when we hunger and we thirst for the righteousness, one, Jesus tells us that we will never hunger or thirst again because his righteousness is a well that never runs dry. But what about when you aren't feeling it? What about when you wake up and you know and you have this desire to read scripture, you have this desire to pray, but every time you do, it feels like a dry and barren land? When it feels like every time you go to the Lord, you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and stopping there. When you feel like you just don't have the strength in you to continue to go to the Lord, and whenever you're going, you feel like you're not being heard. What do you do? Well, what do you do when you're hungry? What do you do when you're thirsty and you're at home and you don't feel like cooking? Because I don't know about you, I've been there where I've been at the house, not as much now that I have a loving wife who cooks for me. Um, but I've been at home, and it's about 6, 6.30, whatever. I'm starting to get hungry. And, uh, and so I go to my refrigerator, and what I do, I open the door, and I look, and there's stuff everywhere, but I don't have anything, right? I bet parents, you've heard that a time or two. Um, we don't have anything to eat, right? And you go, and you close the refrigerator, so then you go to the pantry, and you look in the pantry, and you don't have anything in there either. Some raccoons got into your pantry and they stole everything. Um, and then you go, where's next? The freezer, because you gotta find something you can just pop in the microwave real quick. And you just, you have nothing because you don't want to go and cook. 
You have frozen beef down there. You got frozen chicken breasts down there, but you don't want, you forgot to defrost them, right? And so you have to go through all the work and doing all that stuff. And what happens? You go, or at least me, I go and I sit back down on the couch. I'm like, oh, we don't have nothing. Maybe I'll sit here for 15 minutes and then something will pop out. And then I go and I do the same routine, right? I look in all the places. I'm like, man, I, there's nothing that I want to eat. I don't know what to do. At some point, you have to decide that you're going to eat because you're hungry and you need to eat. And so that food's just not going to pop up. Maybe that means you drive to Taco Bell and you get a quick meal. I don't know what that means for you. We got DoorDash and all those things that are now out here in our area, which is a blessing from God. Praise the Lord. Um, but when you are hungry, you eat. And there are times where you don't feel like cooking. When you are hunger, hungry and thirsty for the Lord, there are going to be times where you don't feel like going to the Lord again. But if you're hungry enough, you will step out and you will pray and you will work through that dry and desert time in your life. And guess what? The Lord will give you strength through that. The Lord is going to build and grow you. So if you are in that moment, if you feel like you are in that desert where you are speaking to the Lord and you don't feel it, if you have this desire to grow in your knowledge and your love for the Lord and you feel like you're hitting a brick wall, keep on pushing. Keep on pursuing the Lord because he will supply you with the strength that you need. And Jesus will bless you with your obedience to continue to seek after him even when it's hard. If we only go to the Lord when times are easy, when things are easy, there's not much faith there. But going to the Lord whenever we feel like he doesn't hear us, we're putting our faith out there. That the Lord is going to strengthen us, but we have a part to play. So I just want to encourage you, if that's you during this time where you have a hunger and a thirst, but you don't feel like cooking, <laughs> still eat. Eat what the Lord has given you. Drink of his goodness. And so these first four Beatitudes that we've talked about so far, we've talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those four Beatitudes all focus on what? Our heart and our relationship vertically with the Lord. These next four verses, what we are going to look at is how that vertical relationship then plays itself out in this horizontal relationship with others. And so we see blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is a compassion and a grace that is extended towards others in our lives. That means that for those that are near to us and for those that are the unfortunate in society that are far away from us that we don't hardly ever see. Mercy is living out the things that we say we believe. Mercy is practicing what we preach. It's loving and caring and serving those that need it. I made a little whistle. Um, you see, the Pharisees, Jesus, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to um, direct his speech towards the Pharisees and let us know what he thinks about them. 
But the Pharisees were people who had a knowledge of the Lord. The Pharisees were people who knew the Old Testament front and back and back to front. But they were a people who were not merciful. The Pharisees were a people who didn't extend that love to those who were in need because the Pharisees believed that if they were in that position, that it was their fault and they deserved it. That if you are crippled or if you are diseased or if you are another nation that we don't like, you are in that place because somebody in your family or yourself has sinned and you deserve to be in that place. We ought not to be like that. That we are called to extend mercy to those who need it. Let us not be pharisaical. Let us not be like that at all. And too many people in the world think that we are. And just thinking about that, they can't all be wrong. I don't believe that every single person who thinks badly about Christians got duped. Let us not be Pharisees. Let us love with mercy and extend it to those who need it. Those near to us in your family, show compassion and love to those around you. I'm preaching to myself, but let us also extend that love and that mercy to those in society who are unfortunate and struggling more than we are. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A heart that is angry and prideful and bitter, a heart that is full of idols that are sitting on the throne of Jesus, is not going to see God. But we can ask God to cleanse our heart. We can ask God to change the desires of our heart, and he will do so. That is your heart muddied with a bunch of junk that doesn't need to be there and is keeping you from seeing and loving God and loving others. Because God can purify and he can get rid of those things in your heart when you seek him and you go to him. And guess what? It's not a fun situation. It's not fun to look in the mirror and do a self-inspection and figure out where in your life you are holding something greater than God. Jesus, in John 15, says that he is the vine and we are the branches and the God is the vine dresser. What does the vine dresser do? He prunes us. It means he snips off parts of us that don't need to be there. Snipping does not sound like it would feel good. And so, if your heart is full of something that doesn't need to be there and it's keeping you from loving others and loving God like he has called you to, seek the Lord and get rid of that junk out of your heart. As I'm a pessimist, I like to say I'm a realist, but those who love me and are close to me tell me, no, it's not a realist, you're a pessimist. And I am appreciative for the Holy Spirit speaking through those people. And it's not fun. So when I have 
information, when I take information in, it has to go through this process of my brain, this filter that I have put there of pessimism saying, no, okay, what are all the bad things that I need to focus on first before I can see how the Lord wants to use me in this situation? How is the Lord um, bringing this situation to me for his glory, and how am I, as a pessimist, stunting that from happening? What is yours? Is it pride? Is it anger? Um, Because if we are to experience God in the fullest, we have to have a pure heart and ask the Lord to cleanse us of our brokenness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, just as we have experienced peace with God, that we were in discord, we were in separation from God, and Jesus, through the cross, brought peace, and we now have connection with God. Jesus is a peacemaker. Jesus is a reconciler. And so do you tend to make peace, or do you tend to bring discord? Do you tend to bring brokenness and arguments, or do you bring peace? And it's in your relationship. Would you rather be right or righteous? Would you rather have peace between you and your spouse, or would you rather be right and triumph over them in that argument? Told you I'm preaching to myself. But maybe I'm preaching to you too. When it comes to politics, when it comes to social issues, are you bringing peace to a situation, or are you on one side digging your heels in and being a part of the discord that we have? When we make peace, we are the children of God because our Father is a Father who makes peace. We should be people that make peace as well. And then the last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This does not say blessed are those who are persecuted because of their opinions. So your hot take, your opinion might not be righteous. Maybe you needed to hear that today. Maybe your opinion is not righteousness, and maybe you need to hold up a mirror and do a self-inspection of where you are and why you are being persecuted. Because if it's not for righteousness' sake, if it's not because you live and you talk like Jesus would, I don't think that's persecution. Maybe people are just telling you what you need to hear. Jesus adds a couple verses to back up um, this beatitude. Verses 11 and 12, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This persecution comes from living like, acting like, and speaking like Jesus. And what you'll notice here that Jesus in all these Beatitudes says, blessed are those, blessed are they, blessed are the ones. And here, what does he say in verse 11? Blessed are you when people persecute you. And who did I say he's speaking to at the beginning of this message? He is speaking to his disciples, first and foremost. They are the ones right in front of him. And he is speaking to his disciples. Blessed are you because you will be persecuted. As my disciples, as followers of me, this world is not going to accept you and love you. And if you are living your life as a disciple of Jesus, you will be persecuted for his sake, not for yours. And and we should understand this. This makes sense to us. 
if we express our beliefs of the biblical marital relationship, what does that do? That is an outright attack of the world's view of a marital relationship or an extra marital intimacy, right? There's kids in the room, so I have to watch what I say. But our view of a marital relationship is not the same as the world's view of a marital relationship or extra marital activities. So, if you express your opinion, the world is going to reject you. They're going to feel attacked. If you abstain from drunkenness and debauchery and slander and gossip and all those things, um, that is a slap in the face to the, what the world values. That the world loves debauchery. The world loves drunkenness and slander. And so if you abstain from that, people might reject you. Kids, in here, if you try hard in school which you should do, because what does the Bible say? Work as if you were working for who? The Lord. So if you try hard in school, you try hard in class, there's a chance that there's going to be kids in your class that call you a nerd or call you a teacher's pet. That's going to happen. For some of you, some of you don't try. You're the ones calling them nerds. (laughs) But sometimes being obedient to God means that you will be rejected. And listen, kids, adults, listen. Jesus says, if that is you, you are blessed. That when the world rejects you because of righteousness sakes, because of you doing the right thing and you following Jesus, you are are blessed, not in the world's eyes, but in the kingdom of heaven, because Jesus was persecuted, and where is Jesus now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, being glorified, and the same is given to us, that we too will receive a reward that is so much greater than the pain that you feel on this earth. So if you're struggling with this, if you feel like you're being rejected because you are living your life for Jesus, Take heart because it is a blessing and you will receive your reward. So let's close with this, that Jesus is the greater Moses, that he did not bring laws, but he offered this gift of the kingdom of God. He offered citizenship to these disciples These disciples were sitting in front of him and they were saying, this is the Messiah. He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to save us and he's going to take over. And then Jesus offers them this thing that is completely upside down from what they were expecting. But it's so much better, and Jesus offers the blessings of the kingdom, and all of these blessings start where? In the heart. We don't act merciful so that we can receive mercy. We act merciful because we have already been shown mercy. And the Lord will change our hearts and each one of these internal qualities come from first a trust and a faith in God it is impossible for us to live out these things within our own strength but we are poor in spirit we are empty and we go to the Lord who has his riches beyond our imagination and as we trust and put our faith in him He'll begin to change us from the inside out, transform our hearts. Let's pray.
Dear Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your truth that we have here. We thank you that you preached this sermon to us. And I pray that as we um, go through it, as we study it, we wouldn't just gain in our knowledge, but we would begin to apply it to our lives. We would begin to trust you more. We would begin to um, put our faith and our trust and our hope in you. And that as we do that, you will begin to transform our lives. For the person in here who has never put their trust in Jesus, I pray that right now you would do so. If maybe you're reading, following along, and you see these, um, these attitudes, these beatitudes that Jesus has called us to live out, and you feel like it is impossible, I want you to know that it is in your own strength. The God of the universe who created the stars and the galaxies created you, and he loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. So if you want to trust in him today, write that on your card. Turn that into the back. Come speak to me after the service. Don't leave this place with the Spirit right now telling you to step out. The Spirit right now pushing you to do that. Do not leave this place without telling somebody. Because your life will change for the better for eternity. So Jesus, I pray that you would give the boldness to that person who is in this room today who needs to step out and trust you and follow you for the first time. And then for the people in this room, God, that just need to ask you to search their heart and to show them where they're uh, not trusting you, to show them where they're relying on their own strength, I pray that you would do so. I pray that right now that person would ask you with humility and submit themselves to yourself and you will show them the ways that they can trust you more. Jesus, help us see ourselves as citizens of your kingdom. Help us to follow you and live our lives like you've called us to. Jesus, we thank you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.